I resurrect this episode to celebrate Mike. And thank you, my dear readers, listeners, and watchers. It's hard to believe that 21 years have passed since Mike died. He would have been 46. We would have been proud of him, and he proud of us. Danny helped me love myself. I had to love myself to have a good relationship with him. Still, the most glorious thing anyone has ever said about me. So let's celebrate loving ourselves, and at least one more. Mike, I feel you. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege who knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. You'll listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. Like what you're reading, hearing, or watching? Go to the link tree slash health ads for all things health hats. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash health hats, one word. Thank you. Welcome to the second anniversary of Health Hats, the podcast. Episode number 99. On November 15th, 2018, the first episode honored my son, Mike Funk, who died on November 18, 2002, 18 years ago, age 26, of metastatic melanoma. Mike, a wise poet, found his best spiritual health in the last year of his life, hence the most memorable sentence in my life. I wasn't born with a tattoo on my ass telling me how long I had to live. I'm grateful to have known Mike, my son, our brother, our friend. I resurrect this episode to celebrate Mike and celebrate this fantastic medium of sound and storytelling for advocacy and connection. Podcasting enriches my life and my work. I use podcasting to explore and organize my mind's chaos, experiences, and feelings. I connect with people I admire for brief intimacies. I'm thankful for my podcasting compatriots. We have met weekly and bi-weekly for two years to support, critique, and challenge each other as artists and technicians. You know who you are. Thank you. I'm grateful to my readers, listeners, my sponsor, Abridge, and my web and social media coach, Kayla Nelson. I miss my mom, Ruth Van Leeuwen, my first and greatest blog critic and follower. She would have tried to learn podcasting technology if she could have found a 15-year-old from her church to teach her how to use a podcast player. She died around Thanksgiving in 2014. Gratefully, here you go. Episode 1 and 99. Happy Thanksgiving. In 
in this session, I'll share some tape of an interview with Mike a few months before he died. We'll hear from Bob Doherty, who conducted that interview, and some thoughts and stories from me. One day, we're sitting at the kitchen table talking about dying and superpowers, and Mike thought that he and I had the same superpower. We both accept what is. Yep, he died young. God, that's life. You open your heart and tragedy just walks right in. What's the alternative? Closed heart? Not for me. So let me set the stage for you. This was July 17, 2002. It was my 50th birthday party. We had the party in Schoharie County, New York. So when you hear some of the audio, you'll hear a lot of noise. I'm able to filter some of it out, but not all of it. So here we are at my 50th birthday party. But I've been enjoying your dogs. I've been cat-birds. It always comes in and kicks me out. Like, period. Next, you'll hear Bob Doherty interviewing Michael Funk. I'm sure you'll be able to tell who is who. Yeah, I'm into just shoot questions and we'll just wrap. All right. Why don't I I'll ask you the same questions I want to ask other people. Okay. How did you meet this Jamoke Dog Daddy? Uh, I was going to school with his oldest son, Simon. And when I just kind of, I don't know how, a mutual friend introduced us and went over to his place, decided that it seemed like a really comfortable environment, a type of environment that I hadn't experienced before. And I just wanted to hang out there. I didn't really know Dan and Ann too well, like, I guess I met on the first day, it was, but I just kind of came into the house and didn't leave. And they were okay with it. It was never an issue about who's this kid? Why is he here all the time? Why is he eating all our food? Because I just started eating all their food right from the start. And they just, you know, made me welcome. Made me feel like it was the first time I'd seen a nuclear family. And I don't want me to say it like this is a traditional nuclear family because it's not. It's a very amazing and dynamic family. But they're all about just bringing you in and giving you their love and trying to understand you and trying to help you understand yourself. So I didn't, it was an environment I just didn't want to leave. I never want to leave. But I didn't have to. So here you go. I remember Mike coming to live with us. He just appeared, came home with my son, Simon, and uh, he never left. We did go talk with his dad and suggested, um, he come live with us, and his dad was fine with that. And that was that. I can't say it was always easy. He was always good to us, my wife and I. Very polite, very considerate, very loving. But he was a crazy teenager. But he did his homework before he did his crazy stuff, which <laughs> we really appreciated. Uh, you've had two awful go around the intervention. Right. And recently, more bad news. That's a tough thing to take. But you're here. My thing is, it's not awful and it's not tough. Okay. I've had a philosophy of life that life is just kind of, that it happens. And I don't mean to say that I'm passive about it, but that it's going to happen and um, you got to make a peace with it. And then it's like a letting go. I understand. And it, sometimes I hate to try and explain it because it sounds simple. It sounds like almost I've developed it by not thinking about it. But tomorrow's going to happen. Regardless of what I do, I can be happy about it. I can prepare myself for everything I can prepare myself to be. 
And those things now are like, I want to be a loving person. I want to be around the people I love. I want to be happy, which isn't necessarily quantifiable. And so I expect these types of things. And I get that. I don't need to, I don't need $50,000 a year. I don't need a college degree. I don't need a car. I don't need these possessions. I've got an amazing family that I can hug. I can hug any member of my family whenever I want. I can tell them I love them whenever. This isn't stuff I grew up doing. I, can. I, I had a strange interaction with Danny about a week ago. We were talking about you and your diagnosis. What I said to Danny is, I look for justice in the world. I want things the way I want them and the way I expect them to be. And he very quickly said to me, that's your thing. I don't bother with that. Uh, and he went right on. And you seem to be the same kind. You have the same kind of thinking, which is... You're, you're living, you're enjoying, you're not struggling with an idea of what it ought to be. Right. you got both feet in what is. Did Danny play a part of that, or are you both just two peas in a pod? I think Danny played a type of part of that. And Danny's got the type of personality. If you're going to be really close to him, you have to love yourself to be comfortable around him. And when you get someone in your life that's really important to you, you want to make sure they're in your life. You want to make sure you keep interacting with them. So if there's part of you, part of me, that's uncomfortable being around Danny, I'm going to be unhappy because I'm going to make sure I'm around Danny. So that was a challenge to me, to make sure that I knew who I am. I, I know what I really want to do. I believe in it, and I can practice it. Because Danny's going to challenge me. If I'm doing something stupid, you know, I used to, to drink and party all the time, and, and Danny would call me on that. He was just, not like he would nag me about it, but it was up front. He knew what was going on, and we would talk about it. So I had to be, know what I was doing, and then start to think about when I was Danny, like, gives you one of those difficult relationships, but the most rewarding type, where I had, I had to end up being happy with myself to really start enjoying Danny and my relationship perfectly. So he pushed me to a certain position in my life where I had to make expectations of myself so, that were real. You know, not just these, like, secondary, I'm going to entertain myself with these types of things. I'd say that, yeah, he'd be like, Pushed me to love myself, and that's helped a lot with this. Oh, man. That just makes me want to cry. Love myself. I remember when Mike was diagnosed with the melanoma. We saw this ugly thing on his neck, and we, I knew it was bad. He had surgery to have it removed, some nodes out, and a year of uh, interferon chemotherapy, and those were really hard years for him. He felt like crap all the time. He was pretty freaked out. We were pretty freaked out. After that, after the chemotherapy and some time passed and he pulled his life together after that, decided to go to school, went to Geneseo and met a girl and he was in love. It was wonderful. Then one day, got a call. I'm numb on my right side. I thought, oh, man, this isn't good. And sure enough, he had a brain tumor, which he had surgery. And then he had a lung tumor, and he had surgery. And then that just wasn't good. He had more brain tumors. We were, I'm really proud of us as a family. We, we really pulled together and supported him and supported each other. And 
coordinated his care and we had weekly phone calls where we would share stories and what's been going on for the week and what are our challenges and what tests are coming up and doctor's appointments and who's going to take them and how they're feeling. What kind of thing do you want for him? What kind of birthday wishes do you have for the old guy? Wow. I don't know. It seems like Hotha. I just want, I want what he already has for it. Danny's got, what is he? He has everything. He's, he loves his job. He's well-directed. He loves his family. He's got a great family. And he really, he, you don't hear him complain. That's, what do you get for something like that? What do you wish for someone like that? I wish for Danny today to be Danny tomorrow. And a day and a day after. He's just, and he's living like the perfect existence right now. You know, because he's, he's got so many things going well for him. And then he's got some stresses. And he accepts them. He deals with them. And he just keeps being. He's really got it right. Oh, Mike, I just love you. This morning, I reached out to Bob Doherty, gave him a call to get his take on the experience he had interviewing Mike and being part of Mike's illness and death. Bob was my boss, my colleague, and my friend. He did the video of Mike at my 50th birthday party. What was your experience of Mike and his passing? As Mike, uh, the hypnosis for Mike became rather clear and dismal and was... Uh, Traumatic for everyone concerned, including Mike and his girlfriend. And Danny was the caretaker, continued to guide Mike. He had provided him with some basic stabilizing parenting and love in a very inclusive and full way. Mike had moved into his home, took guidance from him, improved his life in very critical ways moved away from any debilitating behaviors. And he was a very free-spirit, energized guy with a bright mind. And, uh, you know, he always felt great confidence about his thinking and his life. It was, it was marvelous. He was an ideal fellow. But Danny contributed to his functionality very basically. And Anne and his other boys. It was interesting. Shortly before he died, Danny had a 50th birthday, and uh, I picked and interviewed him on that birthday. And within weeks after his death, I put together a little video, 14-minute video, which uh, the family treasured. I just reviewed it today. Now, approaching an anniversary of his death, he's dead many years. And I was struck again by his philosophical wisdom for a person of his age in the condition that he was, which is soon to die and clear that was the direction. He was enthusiastic about life. He was hopeful about the moment, appreciative of all around him. He had a view of the world that was an old man's view value, 
He didn't mention property, money. Didn't even mention sadness. He talked about connection, contribution, appreciation of his life as it is, exactly. And his uh, connection with all around him, including his girlfriend. And it was rather startling to uh, hear that again from a person so well formed philosophically or grasping of life in the way that we would all like to. I think we all struggle with life meaning and direction. And he had the meaning down, which was appreciating each other without any overarching religious philosophical commitment that was in any way jarring. He just understood and appreciated his own and other people's lives. So I consider that value, the value of Danny Van Lewis and Anne, and what they bring to the world and shared. Mike, by the way, was a wayward adolescent when he arrived at Danny's house, and he said, I just like the environment, so I never left. <laughs> and it was okay with them. He said, <laughs> it, was, it was like a fairy tale. Here is a young, vibrant, thinking, and a bright guy having gotten to a point in his life of satisfaction. I'm now 74 years old, and I'm getting closer to it, but I'm not quite where he was, which is uh, greatly appreciating it every day. It was it was wonderful to know him, and it was nice to experience that love is transferable and very special. So some of the time, I think Mike was just full of life, and some of the times he just felt really miserable. And he wrote a lot of poetry. Believe it or not, we had a lot of laughs. Some funny stuff happened. I remember when we went to buy him a computer at Circuit City, and the young salesperson wanted to um, sell him a lifetime warranty on the computer. And Mike just kept saying, I don't really want a lifetime warranty. And the guy was young and determined, and Mike finally said, I got brain tumors and I'm going to die in three months and I got no use for a lifetime warranty. Oh, the poor guy. <laughs> oh, the poor guy was mortified. We were hysterical. really appreciated that Mike was not the why me? Oh my God, life is so unjust. I've always felt that why not us? <laughs> Why not him? Why not me? Why not whatever? I think it helped me getting a diagnosis of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. And Mike and I both won a, won a lottery we didn't buy tickets for. I need your help as I expand my audience to younger people in advocacy. I'm doing more in short form videos. Please help by pointing me to communities of young advocates and channels and hashtags they use so I can listen and learn. I now have one URL for all channels and media. That's Linktree slash Health Hats. Linktree is spelled L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E and then slash Health Hats, one word, where you can subscribe, access episodes, 
my website and social media, and search the Health Hats archive. Your support is appreciated. Please visit Linktree slash Health Hats. Thank you. So your wife, Marianne, died not that long after Mike died. And yes. and I, I'm wondering about, I know they're very different experiences, but death is death. And I'm wondering about how, I mean, you were as, for not being a member of my immediate family, you were as involved in the experience of him being sick and dying as anybody. And, and I wonder, I just, I've always wondered about how that, how or if that may have affected how you experienced Marianne's death. Wow, that's a pretty... I think to think a little more about it, but I think the experiences are identical and that death is death. It's so stunning and final. My wife died from an aneurysm and a uh, took 18 hours from the beginning of the event to her loss of life. So it was a quick bang, tremendous instant change. But they were the same in that the ultimate result of grief and loss is an appreciation uh, of what you experience in being alive and connected to that person. And in summary, it's gratitude. And I have accomplished that with my wife and with Mike. I I was able, fortunately, to never personalize the experience. Her death was her death. I didn't wrap myself in cloth and ashes and feel sorry for myself. I was traumatized. I had to learn to live my life in an entirely different way. But uh, somehow I never felt resentful. And I watched Danny go through this process. He reached out for counseling help as Mike was sick and sicker. And I did the same. Within four days of her death, I was asking EAP for a referral to grief counseling. And I went to a group setting, grief counseling. And But throughout Mike's experience, as heartbreaking as it was, and it was extremely heartbreaking. I never felt Danny shaking his fist at the sky or at the gods or the world. And I didn't either. So there was a commonality there. We both didn't personalize the loss to some injustice. We accepted life as it was going on. And we came very quickly to appreciate the power of the person that we love. So there was that commonality. I also I had an initial feeling when my wife died, how can people just be driving around and shopping? <laughs> Don't they know that the world stops? And I, I felt that with Danny. That I remember one day, shortly before Mike died, Danny was just trying to do the best he could in all areas. And he told me he was sorry about not being as attentive at work as he had been. 
And we sat, I think we were out in the hall, and there was a bench there, and we sat down. Well, it was in the hospital, and, and Danny cried, and it was appropriate to cry. And we sat there, and he cried a little. I might have joined them with a little quiet tear. And we were just two men together, coping with life as life was taking us. And I remember Mike's funeral. It was a particularly sad event because it was so thick and young and vital. But his contribution to life can be seen on that video. It's remarkable that a young man, particularly a guy with some rejection in his uh, family of origin, managed to accomplish at his young age. So that's how it was. We were appropriately sad at the moment. We didn't blame the world for a tragic life. We we managed the way we best could, and our best was pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's much more to be said about it. Uh, I was thinking this morning, I was talking to Anne, Anne's my wife, and I was talking to Anne, and I was thinking that by now I have this mission of empowering people as they travel together toward best health. And I realized that health is physical, mental, and spiritual. And that while Mike was dying, he got stronger and stronger spiritually. And that was fascinating to watch. And really, he got stronger mentally first because he wasn't so strong mentally before he was sick. But then, in I think in his last year, the philosophical, he really got centered. And I think that really, that made a difference for all of us. I think his accomplishment, philosophically or spiritually, was stunning. They were stunning. And I think it fulfilled both the true course of life as to what's important. But I think from your intellectual Jewish tradition, uh, he was uh, the exemplar, the star, the, the person who understands and produces within that understanding a communication to the world, to those immediate to him, but the whole world. And I think he represents your life direction there. Just as you and I said, the quality of good services and the rational management. We tried to manage in a way that was human and we didn't ask people to do more than they should have or could have, but we got, we asked them to do the best we could. And that's what Mike did and that's what you did. From the moment you met him, and with my wife now, my wife was a second wife. We were married about 22 years. I never had any regrets. And your relationship with Mike, as far as I know, had no regrets. Welcoming, it was all on the positive side of human connection and growth. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> what to say? Are you crying again? <laughs> we might have lived, Danny. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given this up for anything. It was wonderful. The whole thing was wonderful. Painful, wonderful. Yes. Life is wonderful. It's got some rough edges, that's for sure. Yeah. But for those of us that try to walk the earth and make it a little better, we know how to live. Buddy, thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. I love you. I love you too, my friend. Mike was a gift. I got to tell you one more story. This is a great story. Mike and I talked a lot about dying. And what was it like? Was there an afterlife? What would happen? He didn't really think there would be one, but he sure wondered. So one day we're sitting there and I say, Mike, this is totally weird. But if, if after you die, you could leave me a sign Oh my God, that would just be fabulous. So it was about, I don't know, three months after he died. Eh, probably a little longer. He died in November. This was probably in the spring. And we were doing this work on our front stoop was made, a big block of cement that had tilted. And so my wife was doing this redoing the cement and building it up so that it was level. And I was her cement mixer and she was the stone worker. And when she got done, I cleaned it everything up and washed everything down and took a fresh piece of plastic out of a bag and covered the wet cement so it could cure overnight. And in the morning, I took the plastic off the cement, and there was Mike's guitar pick just sitting on top of the cement. I don't know. What does that mean? What really happened? But it was cool. God, it was cool. I still have that pick. Oh, goodness. All right, Mike, this one's for you. I host, write, and produce Health Hats, the podcast, with assistance from Kayla Nelson and Leon and Oscar Van Leeuwen. Music from Joey Van Leeuwen. I play Barry Sachs on some episodes alone or with the Lechuga Fresca Latin Band. I buy my hats at Selma Gundy, Boston, and my coffee from the Jennifer Stone Collective. Links in the show notes. I'm grateful to you who have the critical roles as listeners, readers, and watchers. Subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. See you around the block. 